Money FM 89.3. Best of your money. Money and me on your money. Only on Money FM 89.3. Today, an unconventional topic from a book that could be the first of its kind. A book written by a financial consultant, a lawyer, and two funeral directors. It'll get you thinking about that penultimate day we're all going to face. What happens when your life journey ends? Are you ready for the monetary obligations that still continue? Have you set aside enough to take care of the people that you love? And what about your will? How do you make sure that your assets and the distribution of your assets, uh, the way you want it done is uncontestable in the courts of law. We're going to speak with one of the four men behind the book Last Wishes, Financial Planning, Will Planning and Funeral Planning in Singapore. He's Alfred Chia, CEO of Sing Capital, author of Last Wishes and serving president of the Financial Planning Association of Singapore. Good morning, Alfred. How are you? Oh, yes. Nice to be here. Thank you. Great of you to join us. So congratulations on the book. We're going to jump into it in just a bit. But first up, I wonder if you remember at our last show, we were talking about property and how to structure your finances. And we had a listener um, who sent in this question. We didn't have the time to answer it. Here it is. I heard mm-hmm. that shoebox unit sales and rents have come down. So would it be better to rent for maybe a year or more and then perhaps look at buying uh, a new similar unit? What do you say, Alfred? I think it's a fantastic question. I mean, uh, uh, I do get that quite a lot. Um, so what we actually would advocate is it's very difficult to time the market, right? Because why if the market did not come down as so-called expected, right? Because uh, if, let's say, example, this COVID situation, we, uh, we were able to stabilize and then uh, the rebound come very quickly. So then you will feel that, hey, did I make the wrong decision for not going in earlier? Mm. Yeah, but on the other hand, it could be the other way too, yeah? Exactly. And I think maybe people actually look at that. Uh, it's not so much to time the market, but actually it's to time their finances. Okay, okay. Yeah, what I meant by that is because now you have TDSR, Total Debt Servicing Ratio Framework, you have the loan-to-value considerations, and you have the ABSD, Additional Buy Stamp Duty. Mm-hmm. So, for example, someone who want to actually upgrade uh, from their existing property. Mm-hmm. So, let's say they have existing property, regardless whether it's a HDB or private property. So, they were one count of property. Now, if let's say uh, they need to actually sell off their existing property to unlock the cash back, then he will not be able to buy the second property paying the ABSD. And if let's say he's a married couple, they can still get a ABSD refund. But what if they are single? Then they will not be able to do so. So people who actually do that, that means to say they sell a property and then they rent somewhere for an interim period, is actually more to manage their finances. Right. So I guess people want to catch on a trend and if they think that the prices of their units are you know, going to come down, that they're going to want to wait out because they want to catch that trend. It's human nature, right? But you say, look at your finances, think about the period of time where you may have to be renting in order to upgrade and then 
go shopping based on that? Yes, but for example, okay, let's say for example, let's say someone who has an existing property looking to buy a second property, let's say it's $1.2 million. Okay. So, so that means his existing property, he would have an existing housing loan. Mm-hmm. And then when he buys the second property, it will be considered as a second property, mm-hmm. right? So therefore, he will have to pay a 12% ABSD as a Singaporean. So in order to buy the second property, but while holding on to his first property, he will have to incur ABSD of 144000 based on the $1.2 million kind of uh, projected price, right? Mm-hmm. And then you also have to pay a down payment of 55% because it's considered as your second housing loan. Right. Yep. So the total cash outlay would be eight hundred over thousand to buy something that is one point two million dollars. Which is so, why most people sell first and then rent, right? Yes. Yes. So I think people who actually rent first is they they sell their property so that they don't have to be in a tight position to say, mm. Oh, I, I already committed another property so I better sell my existing one first. Mm. Okay, so you, you give yourself that, 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 that time, right? So that you can make uh not a stressful kind of decision, right? You can actually sell first. Uh, find somewhere, you actually rent it for the time being while you look for the, the next suitable one. But if you want to time the market, then it's a very difficult thing to actually do. Mm, just like the stock market, huh? It's pretty yes. hard to catch a knife when it's coming down. Right. Mm, I heard that if there are two people on the ownership, the contract for the house, right? Two people own the house. If, if let's say, one person takes their name off the... Mm. Uh, lease, right? Mm, Can mm. that person then buy a house for the first time without incurring ABSD? Do you know what I mean? Uh, yes. That one will apply if, let's say, they are a married couple. Yeah. So this is what they call decoupling. Mm. Yeah. So, so they I mean, can of course, do that. They can do that. They can do that. I mean, of course, you need to really be very, very careful when you do this kind of financial planning because both uh, a husband and wife must be able to actually afford the existing loan and also take on another new loan. Right, right. It's even more consideration. And because if you're just decoupling, you wouldn't be able to use the CPF you already invested in your in your first home or would you be able to do that? Not all yes, of you it, can. right? Oh, you can. You can, okay. yes, yes. But of course, you need to have a very clear understanding of the mechanism. right. So it's a good idea to speak with a financial planning agency to help you out with that. We are speaking with Alfred Chia. He is the CEO of Sing Capital. He's also one of four authors behind this book, Last Wishes. And we are talking about financial planning, uh, will planning and funeral planning right here in Singapore. That's our main topic. Alfred, thanks for taking that property question. So first up, what are some major concerns people have when it comes to planning their wills? I think it's still very lacking. Right, Many people actually procrastinate. They just put it off because thinking that it will not actually happen so fast. Mm. Or they may think that well, when I'm getting a much older age, then I look into this. Yeah, so, but I, I think it is something that really all of us should think about it and then uh, do something about it. Why did you want to write this book? Well, because as a financial uh, advisor, we help clients with a lot of finances. And of course, we have also uh, experienced, we have seen uh, death. Uh, among our customers, and then the kind of actually havoc it actually create on the family finances and also the loved ones. So, which is why I think is to complete the whole financial plan. This is a very important aspect. So, I'm so excited that uh, my friend, uh, the lawyer, mm-hmm. right, Mr. Rainy Wong, and then Darren and Jenny from Direct Funeral, mm-hmm. um, who are funeral directors, actually agreed to actually come in together. We, we try to put something into something that is uh, digestible, easy to read, not too heavy, uh, so that to give 
uh, readers some form of pointers, right? So that they can say, hey, yeah, these are some of the things I may not actually thought about it and I should do something about it. Yep, it's 156 pages. Really easy to e- read in one day. But as you say, it's a topic people would prefer not to think about. But it's one of the most loving things you can do to prepare for what happens after if you really care about your loved ones, right? Yes. And as an example, another thing is that, I mean, we all plan for our birthday, our weddings, our children's uh, uh, month, all these things. But actually, how many of us thought about our final parties? Yeah. Right? And we don't, if we don't make our own arrangement, then our families will be thinking, is, hey, what should I do for this guy right? or for this lady? Yeah. And then what, what kind of song are they going to play? <laughs> that's very important, the playlist. Yeah. <laughs> oh, goodness me, that's, I'm very particular about that. So most people put their wishes down in a will, right? Mm. And they hope that their will is going to stand in the courts of law. Is there some, is that part of the book that goes into will writing as well? Yeah, actually, well, I mean, of course, a lot of times people think when they write a will, uh, they will normally go to a lawyer. But actually, you don't need to see a lawyer to write a will. Mm. I mean, of, of course, it's still uh, recommended to actually uh, understand right the mechanism, but more importantly, when you write a will, you need to have two witnesses, and these two witnesses cannot be the beneficiary of the will. Yep. Yeah. So I mean, of course, then the next thing is after you have done this, um, if let's say you are an ordinary layman, um, it's still important to check with the professional or actually uh, read up from reliable sources how to actually structure it. But if you feel uh, uncomfortable, then it's always good to see a professional, right? Uh, it could be a financial advisor, it could be a lawyer, and then how to put this in a way that is actually, you know, give you that peace of mind so that when you need to call upon it, it can actually stand in court of law. Exactly. So the book covers everything from what you need to understand about distributing your CPF assets that happens through nomination. What about your insurance? If you have some, um, you know, how do you nominate your insurance if the payouts are, are triggered by death to make sure that the right people get the right funds? Um, the, the biggest question most people have, I think, is, you know, how do I make sure that I have done enough so that I can take care of my loved ones when I'm gone. Any tips on, you know, how, how you can prepare yourself? Oh, yes. Okay, first, of course, a will cannot distribute your CPF asset. Mm-hmm. You need to make a CPF nomination. nomination. Yep. Right. Then the next thing is, uh, a lot of us would definitely have some form of property, whether it's a HDB or private properties. And then the, the reason why we actually uh, purchase property or invest in properties or beside, you know, trying to enjoy the the, uh, the property and then to, to have some uh, long-term uh, capital appreciation is also a form of legacy for our loved one. Mm. So, which is why it's very important also, if let's say something happens, how do you want your assets which you work so hard to achieve it to be distributed? Yeah. And a lot of time people did not even understand, right, the mechanism of ABSD the impact of ABSD they have on your loved one who inherit the property. Additional buyer stamp duty? Yes. Oh, what, what, what is the link there? Okay, take for example, let's say um, uh, Mr. Tan, he has three children. Okay. So let's, and, and he, he say, okay, when I pass on, I'll leave my property to these three children. So each of them will have equal share, which means to say each of them would have one count of property. And if, let's say, three of them have their existing properties, so all of them will have two kinds of properties. And when they want to 
purchase another property, they would have to be paying ABSD for the third property count. Ah, okay, okay. But when they inherit this flat or uh, mm. the apartment that's been given on to them, they don't have to pay anything, right? Yes, for direct inheritance, uh, all this tax doesn't apply. But what if, let's say, the beneficiary say that I do not want to mm. co-own the properties? Yeah, uh, I, I, I want to sell my share. Mm. Uh, then all the taxes will come in. They do come in to play then? Yes, right. Uh, uh, buy them duty, ABSD, sellers them duty. So in my will, I could say that I want my home to be shared equally amongst my three children, but one of the three could want the other two's share and so they can fight it out in court. They could they could change my <laughs> wishes, right? Basically. Uh, no, you can actually put it in the will. Then, of course, the three beneficiaries will have their share, right? Yeah. Then, then it's for them. Uh, I hope they don't have to fight it I out. I hope right? they don't duke it out, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So they can talk it out <laughs> to how to distribute it. But actually, one very effective way is, for example, mm. you can say, okay, this property will be given to, let's say, child A. Okay. But, at the same time, right, maybe Mr. Tan will have taken out some insurance policies um, and he can say, uh, to be fair to all my the other two children, they will be able to inherit equivalent amount of cash. So then you make your beneficiary, I mean, you are fair to your beneficiary, you mm. take care of them mm-hmm. and yet they don't have to enter into squabble. Okay. But in order to do that, you really need to do a lot of plannings. Okay, I know some people are thinking, and we'll take your questions as well, by the way, 669 if you have any. People are thinking, isn't it automatic? If something happens to me, the state will take care according to interstate law, you know? Oh, yes. Right, if let's say we don't do anything, then the government, right, the intestacy law will actually uh, designate who will be the next beneficiaries. Mm, but it takes time, right? And that's the problem. That's why you want to plan because it takes time for this the state to step in and then what happens to to the home and the property and the finances people have ongoing uh, requirements right that's why you want that's the benefit of setting in place a will I think the time difference between when people are taken care of and how long they have to wait should the state have to intervene okay actually that is talking about the probate process Mm. so when there is no will so uh, I mean of course then uh, you will actually, the, the process will take longer, right? Because um, the court need to know who will be the administrator yeah. and then who will be the beneficiary. And the person may not want this so-called uh, beneficiary uh, that's designated under law to actually uh, benefit from all these aspects. I mean, we have uh, seen many customers, uh, for example, they are singles. Mm-hmm. So they want to actually uh, take care of some of their uncle, aunties, Right, or some of their favorite uh, nephew. Yeah. But if, let's say, they, they don't do a plan on that, then it will be based on the intestacy law. Right, right. But yeah. you want to make a will. You're encouraging people to make a will with this book, right? Uh, yes. We, we hope to create that awareness so that uh, we just do this. I mean, it's not a very expensive thing to do. Mm. And of course, and another thing is actually... Is also an expression of love to your loved ones. Absolutely. Because the will is the most uh, powerful love letter you can send to your loved ones. Yeah, but it's also like drawing up a list for who gets to come to your wedding. You know, you don't want to like leave people out, then you're worried that the ones left out are going to not like you so much. 
<laughs> so it's difficult. Okay, so what are some misconceptions that people have uh, when it comes to legacy planning that you've experienced maybe? Actually, I think it's always the procrastination, mm-hmm. right? Thinking that we always have time. Um, but the, the thing is because of these procrastinations, right, we don't actually get about it. And then when you keep on uh, putting it aside, then you do not make the decision. So I think we just hope that with this, we create awareness and then uh, you, you can actually make the decision. And of course, when you make the decision, it doesn't mean that it's actually fixed for life. You can always change as your life uh, evolves, right? And then, of course, if you have more loved one or you want to take out some of the uh, previous loved one that you think you love, right? but <laughs> maybe you no longer do. Yeah, things change. Yes. When, when would I need a trust? When would I need to set up a trust? Um, okay, actually trust is something that is also gaining awareness, but I think there's still a lot of uh, um, uh, ignorance about it. But trust is actually a very important document if you want to provide for your vulnerable loved ones with special needs. Right? It's not just about special needs child. It could be your special needs uh, uh, loved ones who have dementia, so, I mean, imagine if, let's say, um, we are to go before our loved ones and yet we still want to provide for them, then how do you actually ensure you take care of that? How do you structure it then, right? I, I'm reading a line in your book. It's so lovely. There's a Chinese saying about wealth never lasting for more than three generations. A trust is your way of ensuring that the money lasts um, down the generations. So you can mm. never be sure how future generations may turn out, but here's your chance to ensure that the assets are not sold and squandered away in a matter of months. Okay. Um, so what do you need to get a trust set up? Okay, I mean, of course, trust, it will depends on what is the purpose. Mm. Um, so in the book, I especially mentioned about uh, it's, it's a very important instrument you can do to provide for your special need loved ones. Mm. Okay? Uh, it could be children, it could be uh, adults. Um, but basically, yeah, for example, let's say if uh, I have a special need uh, loved one, then if let's say I'm to pass on, I would like the, my, my loved one to continue to have a place to stay on. Yep. At the same time, right, to have an allowance okay, for the daily livings and medical care and someone to actually watch over it so that to ensure that the money are being distributed uh, fairly and is not being uh, misused. So a trust will be able to do that, especially if you are able to engage a professional trustee to actually manage all this. Okay, yeah, got it. That's really interesting. Why did you want to include a chapter on how to ensure that your will is foolproof and stands in a court of law? There was a case, right, where actually uh, a lawyer prepared a will for this, um, this deceased person. Okay, but one of the mistakes that this uh, lawyer actually made was they actually uh, missed out one beneficiary, uh, one witness. So a will need to have two witnesses. Oh my goodness, it's a big mistake. Yeah. And then this will actually have only one. So therefore, this will was declared as void, invalid. Hmm. So the, the people who are not supposed to benefit, right? they benefited under the intestacy law, then those people who are supposed to benefit, which the deceased wanted to provide for, did not get it. Oh my goodness. Yeah. But yeah. I mean, of course, they engaged a lawyer. Then, of course, uh, they would take legal actions uh, to actually, I mean, this would become a, a civil a claim. Yes, so yeah. 
But yeah, it all could uh, have been avoided if you, you you had a checklist like you have in this book to remind people what you need to ensure that your will is foolproof, right? Yes. So yes. easily avoided. Okay, so I learned that I need to appoint a funeral director. It's very interesting to me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, actually, yeah, I mean, like in in countries like Taiwan, uh, funeral is is quite a grand thing. In mm. fact, it's a uh, it's quite a, a a fun thing. Even they even can arrange for uh, singers performers. Oh wow! Uh, they have a whole industry there then. Yes, yes. So, which is why I think it will be interesting. I mean, funeral is um, a, a lot of time when we think about funeral is uh, sad, very solemn. But I think another way to look at it is actually it's, it's a celebration of life, right? It's a way of uh, remembering someone. Mm. So it need not to be something that is uh, too solemn, right? Of course, you need to be able to make it so that people can actually grieve and actually uh, celebrate the life that this person actually had. And how he has actually, or how he and her has actually uh, touched the people around them. So how would I make plans for- um, if I wanted to appoint a funeral director and I didn't want it to be in the family because I wanted, you know, I think when people are bereaved, they shouldn't have to deal with details like how do we get, you know, the disease from home or hospital uh, to the embalming, to the wake. They, you know, if you want to lessen that load for your family, how mm-hmm. do you lay it out? I mean, do you have to work with a funeral services company? Uh, can your funeral director not be a member of your family? Um. Actually, now I think this funeral industry is actually uh, evolving. Um, they are becoming more and more professional. So, for example, um, my, my co-authors, uh, Darren and Jenny, uh, they are a very young couple. Mm. Um, so, they actually take on this business from their father, who is actually very legendary in this business, uh, Mr. Roland Tay. So, they, they actually do a lot of all these kind of uh, events. I mean, of course, right, when this thing, if let's say especially it's, it's a sudden death, the family members will be in really grieving and they'll be at exactly. a loss. Exactly, yep. So, this is where a professional funeral director can come in and organize and arrange everything so that the, the family members don't have to even think about all this, right? They just need to actually, uh, I mean, grieve it out. I mean, really, do, do you, you do not have the kind of energy yeah. even look at all these details really. you don't you know from music choice to the guest list and the f- well not guest list whoever comes comes but the food menu some people think mm-hmm. about that um, choice of casket so all these things I, I think a lot of people who look at their funeral as their final send-off party and who are who are detail oriented like myself would, would actually enc- enjoy planning <laughs> especially <laughs> music best. choice right? especially Oh my gosh, bad music at my own wake, that would not be good at all. Yeah, my way or turn in. <laughs> I think so. Thanks for the suggestion. All right, Alfred, I hope your book gets out there and more people pick it up. Nobody wants to think about it because, you know, some people uh, feel taboo. Some people feel scared about contemplating their own death. What do you want to say to encourage people to pick up the book, Last Wishes? I mean, uh, death is something definitely is a thing to happen. It's just a matter of when. I think while we are able to, I think it's the right time to actually think about it. Because just think about writing the the most loving love letters you want to say to your loved one. 
Great, great way of looking at things. Always great speaking with you. Thank you so much, Alfred. Thank you, Michelle. Thank you. He's Alfred Chia, one of four authors behind this book, Last Wishes. Uh, it's written by Alfred. He's a financial consultant, a lawyer, two funeral directors um, have put their pen to paper for this book that will set you thinking about life's final journey. This is Money and Me. I'm Michelle Martin. Before acting on the information on Money FM, Please consider if it's suitable for your own investment objectives, financial situation, and risk tolerance. To listen to more great interviews, download our podcasts at moneyfm893.sg or download the SBH Radio app available on Google Play or the App Store.